I'm okay, I'm okay. Oh, that was weird. So there's two waters. I guess they're both mine, are they? Take your pick. All right. Um, <laughs> great way to start. <clears throat> I'd like you to turn your Bible, please, to Isaiah chapter number 40. This is last time I was uh, here with you folks. We looked at the first... Well, the goal was to get from verses 9 to 31 in one Sunday, and I think we all knew that probably wasn't going to happen. So, uh, Isaiah chapter 40, the, somebody's called the book of Isaiah uh, like a mini Bible, like the first three, nine, 39 chapters are kind of Old Testament-ish, and then verse 40 takes on a whole new flavor, kind of like the first 39 books of the Bible, and then uh, once you get to that... 40th book of the Bible, the book of Matthew, a different tone, different, lot of, lot of, a big, quite, a, quite a noticeable difference. But before I get to that, I just wanted to say good morning and uh, thank you folks for your prayers and for your um, thoughts and texts and emails and gifts. And uh, it's pretty humbling as I look out and see uh, different people who have had me in their home over the years and meals and prayers and gifts. It's pretty it's pretty amazing actually. So I don't wanna I don't want anybody to think for a second that our family takes that for granted. We do appreciate all of it. <clears throat> and uh, you probably saw uh, or you may have heard through Facebook or through emails or friends or something that our family was in Newfoundland for two weeks. How many people already knew that? And more than half. Um, so that was pretty exciting. We, uh, the set of circumstances came about that uh, we ended up going to uh, St. John's and uh, spoke two Sundays ago today at uh, the Faith Bible Chapel. Oh, um, somebody said to say hi to you folks. Colleen, Colleen Jones said, said, please say hi to my friends at Northbrook. I miss them so much. You're not going to forget, are you, Kirk? I said, no, I won't forget. You promised me you're not going to forget. I said, I promise you I won't forget. I hope, I'm thinking in my brain, I hope I don't forget. But uh, so Colleen Jones uh, sends her greetings. And uh, so I preached there uh, on the 17th. And then actually the 17th was also Abby's 13th birthday. So we officially have four teenagers now. So, yeah, I, you know. I was figured to have four teenagers, you had to be kind of old and out of touch and irrelevant, but it turns out that's not the case. And uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, so anyway, uh, so, so what I did is I, I gave a five minute update on the 10th, uh, then on Monday night, the 11th, I had like a two hour evangelism training thing, and, uh, and then on uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon and evening, we were out on the streets of St. John's. Has anybody on this in this room ever been on or near George Street in St. John's, Newfoundland? Yeah, okay, well, you know exactly what I'm talking about right there. If there is a more uh, needy place in the plant in Canada, I'd be very surprised. Like it's, <clears throat> I think it holds the record for the most uh, liquor establishments per kilometer in all of uh, Canada, if not the world. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so we, we went down there with the sketchboard on Thursday afternoon, Thursday night, and Friday afternoon, Friday night, and Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, and preached the gospel, passed out tracts, talked to people, and there were some, uh, quite a f probably about a dozen Christians from a couple of different churches that joined us, so you know, that was, that was pretty good, that was, uh, it was really good actually, had a real good chat <clears throat> with several different people. And then, uh, so then we left there on the 17th and we went west, spent a night in Gander, two nights in Grossmore, and a night in Lancel Meadows. Uh, we went on the Western Brook Pond boat tour, if anybody knows what I'm talking about. Uh, if you just want to Google that and have your mind blown this afternoon, it's, it's, it's even better to be there. So, so we count ourselves very fortunate and blessed to be able to take a little four-day family vacation before we head back last Friday, or I guess it would have been, what was it? A week ago, Friday? Yeah, I guess we got home a week ago, Friday. So that was, that was pretty cool. And thanks to those who were praying for us. We, you know, we're driving at night thinking, oh man, we've heard all these stories about moose in Newfoundland, you know. 
Somebody told me there's more moose. If you don't count St. John's, there's more moose in Newfoundland than people. So we were just driving all white knuckled at night, like, oh, don't want to hit a moose in the middle of nowhere. Uh, thankfully, we didn't even see a single moose. I thought I did once, and I put the car in reverse, and I back up. That's a horse, Daddy. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, Friday night uh, was a... I always enjoy the nights when Dave... Uh, I said Dave. Sam brings his guitar, and uh, Nick brings his, his, dr- his cajon, and, uh, and we get s- lots of more voices out there, and it's a real special Friday, and... Uh, some of you have joined us for those, and last night, or Friday night was another one of those. Well, wouldn't you know it, that old John Wells gets up there and preaches. Not one, not two, not three, but four police cars show up. <laughs> and now you're thinking, oh no, what happened? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Actually, as far as police scenarios go, this is probably the best one I've ever been a part of. Uh, the guy jumps out of his car and it's, uh, I can't remember his name. I think he said his name was Darcy, but I'm not sure. And, uh, and he was pretty happy-go-lucky. guy. hey, you guys, what's going on tonight? Yeah, we got a noise complaint, so I thought I'd just check it out. You know, make smiles. And he says, by the way, I think you guys are doing a great job. He says, are you all from the same church? He's like, and John said, no, actually, there's three or four different assemblies represented in this group. Are you kidding? What a great, oh, that's so great to see unity amongst the body, he says. I thought, hmm, that's an interesting term. <laughs> unity amongst the body. Hmm, this guy might be a Christian. This, this other guy shows up, and this other police officer, and he looks like he's ready to throw somebody in the slammer, you know what I mean? He's just got this look on his face. <laughs> and he walks up, and he goes, hey, everybody, I want you to meet Constable, I forget, Constable Connor. He goes, he needs to be saved. <laughs> And I'm like, what? I don't think I've ever heard a police officer say that. Actually, I know I've never heard a police officer say that. So anyway, he goes, he goes well, he goes, so how, how loud are we talking here? And uh, we said, well, Warren was just going to get up and preach. You know, Warren, why don't you get up and do a little demo for the police officer? So, so Warren gets up on the block. We're at Pizza Corner. There's that stone thing across from uh, the Pizza Corner there. And... <clears throat> Warren gets up, and he's got a little micro- microphone here, and he's got the speaker here. He starts, before he preaches, he usually sings, so he starts singing, and police officer goes, you guys are good, take care, <laughs> sorry to bother you, jumps in his car, drives away. I was like, man, that couldn't have gone any better. So that was pretty, pretty cool. So the only thing I could figure is that there must have been Christians praying for us Friday night. I, I, don't, I can't see any other explanation of that. So thank you. We, we recognize that it's a combined effort. Even though you might not have physically been there, we know that there are people backing us up uh, every, every Friday night in prayer. And that, I wish I could tell you how much that means to me. And to everybody, not just me. I'm, I'm not even in the city as much anymore as I used to be. As most of you know, we've been Kind of focusing more on Moncton, and but you pray for me because I, I I I'm going to be totally honest. I, I have a hard time in Moncton. I think I said that this year once from this pulpit. I don't prefer Moncton like at all, uh, but that's we're closer to there, and so anyway. So just pray pray for us. I sure appreciate. It. So we're in uh, Isaiah chapter forty. Look at the last three words. Of verse 9. Let's say the last three words together, verse 9, collectively on the count of three. One, two, three. Behold your God. I don't know if, if uh, you'd have to think back. I don't even know when the last time, I think it must have been in May or June. <clears throat> what do you think about when you think about God? Um, Mr. A.W. Tozer said this The most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think of God. If I were to mention the word God to you, immediately something pops into your brain. And I'm reminded of a meme that a friend of mine put on Facebook once, and I used it as a theme this past summer as I taught, teen, I guess it was last summer, I taught the teens at Arrowhead Native Bible Camp. And it was, God is not who you think he is. God is who you say, who he says he is. Because there are people today, 
that believe that Heavenly Father used to be just like you and me. And he was so awesome and so holy and so obedient that when he died, he was elevated to a position of Godhood. And his name was Elohim. And that's exactly what the Mormons teach. That, I can't actually think of a, of a harsher blasphemy than what I just said. That is completely unbelievable. <laughs> there, there are people that teach... There are people that teach that uh, the first thing that Jehovah did was create Jesus Christ. Like before he did anything. Before he even said, let there be light, he created Jesus Christ. If, friends, if Jesus Christ is a created being, then his blood means absolutely nothing. Because Acts 20 verse 28 says that the blood that was shed was God's blood. So, so it's very important that we establish who we're talking about through the Word of God. I know that's pretty basic. You say, duh, Kirk, obviously. But, but, but you'll be amazed. Even as I travel around evangelical churches and I talk to people and they tell me what God is like and I'm like, I wonder if they're, we're talking about the same God. Like they pray as if, as if God you know, is kind of handcuffed and He's kind of old and He's kind of decrepit and he's kind, of, he's kind of out of touch with reality. And I'm thinking... Surely we can't be talking about the same God. <sighs> By the way, I just realized that I forgot in my introduction to read a letter from my son. I'm not going to read it now because I'm into the message. Kyle is taking a year, a year in internship with Northern Canada Evangelical Mission. He's working starting in a couple of weeks for a whole year with uh, NCM at Arrowhead Native Bible Camp where he's been very faithful for the last several years. So... I meant to read you something that he wanted me to read to you, and I completely forgot. So uh, if you didn't get the email, and some of you have already told me that you have, if you didn't get the email from Kyle and you'd like to get it, you can come see me after, and I will forward that email on to you. And Because uh, now that I've started the message, I think this is far more important. But I did want to kind of mention that. Tell me what you think of God, one theologian said, and I will tell you, what is the direction and the trajectory of your life? High views of God ultimately leads a high view of God ultimately leads to high worship and high and holy living, while low views of God lead to trivial worship, manipulative evangelism. Everything in one way or another hinges upon your understanding of who God is. God is that important. Question, how big is the God that you serve today? How big is the God that you serve today? You say, Kirk, I'm going through some trials, man. I'm going through some difficult, you wouldn't believe. You wouldn't believe some of the things that have happened to me over the last couple months. Maybe I wouldn't. But uh, <clears throat> my question is, is your God bigger than your circumstances? Sometimes we can be careful, if we're not careful, we can buy into this philosophy and this mindset that God is kind of somehow, you know, He's just not quite as sharp as He used to be. Like he, at one time He did amazing things, but now, you know, it's been a long time. I would, I would strongly, strongly encourage you to abandon those thoughts. And we have a tendency of doing that. We have a tendency, if we're sons and daughters of Adam, which everybody is, we have a tendency to, uh, to, to elevate ourselves and we have a tendency, to, without even realizing it, to drop God down. And, and we, if we're not careful, we can fool ourselves into thinking that the, the gap between us and God is, is really all not that significant. But the Bible says He must increase and I must decrease, right? John chapter 3, verse 30. So the goal really is very simple. The goal is to widen that gap as far as I can this morning through the Word of God. Uh, verses like Isaiah 55, for as, heaven, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are His thoughts higher than our thoughts and His ways and our ways. Do you, do you believe that this morning? Now, I'm going to go a little quickly through the f verses 12, 13, 14, because we covered them last time I was here. I drew your attention to verse 12, his infinite power. Who has, who, question, 
<coughs> who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? There's that little bit of space there in your hand, and if you, you can go home and measure how much water you can hold in there. It's actually not that much, really. But the Bible, Bible says all of the waters, plural, are in the hollow of his hand. They say, how much does the Atlantic Ocean weigh, do you think? <laughs> a lot. God says, yeah, it's about right there. Not a big deal. Who, check it out, who has meted out or who has stretched out the heavens with a span? This particular galaxy called the Milky Way, they figure is about 100 million light years in, in diameter. And there are, their best guess, and I think it is a guess, is 100 billion galaxies just like, well, not just like, but similar to this one. 100 million light years. That's, a light year is a distance. Is a distance. It's not a, it's like, it's, you know, you can measure it in meters and kilometers. You've got to go how far you can go in a year. Traveling at 300,000 kilometers per second, that's a, a significant distance. <laughs> and it's a, taking about 100,000 years traveling at the speed of light just to get across the Milky Way from one end to the other. And they think there's probably 100 billion other ones. I, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next 20 to 50 to 100 years we find out that that number is, is puny compared to what's really out there. But the Bible says that God, He meets out all of it. Yeah, it's about like that to Him. It's not a, big, it's not a real big deal. By the way, why, is, why did He make the universe so vast and so astounding and so incredible and so mind-numbing? I think the primary reason, there'd be several reasons, but one of them would be to show us that he stands outside of it. He's the one who created it, that he's far more incredible and amazing than you can even imagine. That's why he made the universe as impressive as he did and so vast as he did and so incredible as he did, to show us that nothing is too hard for him. Verse 12 points us to his infinite power. Um, he has... Who has comprehended or counted the dust of the earth in a measure? How many dust particles do you think there are on this planet? <laughs> to him, he's got it like, eh, on a, in a measure. Just, he can put it on a, on a little scale. It's not a big deal for him. And the, he has, who has weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, just as a friendly reminder, that God is all Powerful. Do you believe that this morning? We have a tendency to think, you know, eh, maybe, well, you, Kirk, you, did you forget about the tsunami? Yeah. You know, like, you know, listen to the way Christians talk when, when a tsunami hits. You'd think that God was kind of napping. Or God, you know, at best, you, at, at, sometimes you even hear this, this, you know, God allowed it. Oh, yeah, really? Like God was just kind of like handcuffed, oh, okay, nodded his head at the last second. You think there's one molecule, one H2O molecule on this planet that is not, that, that has power more than God does? <laughs> let's be careful, friends. Uh, let's not forget, we have a tendency to forget history. Let's not forget that God, people call it Noah's flood. It wasn't really Noah's flood, it was whose flood? It was God's flood. Noah didn't flood the world. Noah didn't kill every Everything that had the breath of no, uh, life in its nostrils, the Bible said, died, except for those who were in the ark. And let's not forget that that was an act of God, and that was the will of God. And uh, somehow we think that God, you know, maybe you know, maybe He messed up, or He, you know, was supposed to just be a little wave, but it turned into a big wave, or, or something like that, friends. God is huge. God is amazing. God is all-powerful. I shared with you the last time I was here, just to jog your memory, <clears throat> those songs. The hymn writers got this, right? The hymn writers got this, because when we open our hymn books and we sing, we don't go, A tiny fortress is our God. <laughs> right? We, what, 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 how do we sing that? Does he, a, what, a what fortress? A mighty fortress. <laughs> You'd almost think that the hymn writer had been reading Isaiah chapter 40. Or, uh, 
How mediocre thou art. Is that how it goes? No, it goes how what? How great thou art. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> no prayer, ladies and gentlemen, is too hard for God to answer. No circumstance is too hard for God to overturn. No obstacle is too difficult for God to remove. No door is too hard for our God to open. No heart is too hard for our God to humble. And no soil, no soul is too wretched for our God to save. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Well, I, I, I went fast through verse 12, and I'm going to do the same with verses 13 and 14, because I do want to get to the end of the chapter. Uh, not only His infinite power, we praise God for His infinite power, but look at verses 13 and 14. We praise Him for His inscrutable wisdom. Who has directed the Spirit of our Lord, or being His counselor, who taught Him? Question mark. With whom... Took he counsel, and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding. Now it's one thing, friends, to have power and to have great power. It's another thing to combine it with wisdom. You've seen examples in history of people with power and no wisdom, and it can be catastrophic. Right? God has never learned a single thing. I learn stuff almost every day. I think, oh, that never even occurred to me. Uh, I was sitting there talking with Brian yesterday in his living room, and all of a sudden I learned something new. I was like, oh, that was, I never saw it from that angle before. And uh, that happens to me pretty much every day. God's never, that's never happened to God. God's never gone, oh, yeah, yeah actually, if you, okay, yeah, I see that now. That's never happened to our God. He knows it all, in his, and he balances it with perfect wisdom. To whom did God consult? If you want a little side study, you can read uh, Isaiah, uh, Job. And, and God starts asking Job some questions. I think, I think there's quite a few questions, like 70-some questions toward the end, of the, cha- uh, the end of the book. And like a wise man, Job does this. He, he doesn't answer the Lord. Lord, uh, where were you, Job, when I laid the springs in the seas? Uh, scientists just found springs in the seas less than 100 years ago. And God said thousands of years ago that they were there. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful that not only does God have infinite power, verse 12, but he's got inscrutable wisdom. He's got wisdom beyond wisdom. And, 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 and if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. James chapter 1, verse 5, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. We also talked, last time I was here, verses 15 through 20, his immense glory. His immense glory, the glory of God, is a whole um, subject in and of itself. Behold, the nations, are plural, nations, are as a drop of a bucket. All of the glory of all of the nations throughout all of history are like a drop in a bucket to God. And they are counted as a small dust of the balance. He takes the islands up as a very little thing. The Lebanon, Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts there are sufficient for a burnt offering. If you're going to be offering Old Testament sacrifices like they were in Isaiah's day, boy, you, you could burn. When you see Lebanon, it's usually a reference to the cedar trees of Lebanon. They've, they've even got it on their national flag. They're very... Uh, famous for their, for their cedar trees. If you're going to make a burnt offering and you're going to use uh, cedar trees, well, you could use all of Lebanon. That's not, not sufficient to burn. And you could take all of the beasts and for these sacrifices, and you're never, you're never going to come close. And then a really powerful verse. Oh, by the way, verse 16, I almost, 17, I almost missed it. All nations before him are as nothing and are counted to him as less than nothing. How do you get less than nothing? Have you stopped to think about that? (laughs) I don't know how you can get less than nothing, but apparently the nations are as less than nothing to him. Somebody approached approached G. Gamble Morgan. I think I used this illustration last time I was here. (coughs) Little old lady, he was preaching on prayer. And a little old lady comes up to Mr. G. Campbell Morgan after the sermon, and she said, Mr. Morgan, do I, can I pray to God about little things in my life? Or, or do I only have to pray to God about the big things in my life? Does anybody remember what G. Campbell Morgan answered? I, I think I shared it last time I was here. This is what G. Campbell Morgan said to her. Ma'am, 
everything in your life is little to God. <laughs> the implicate, just by asking the question, she thought that some things might be too big for God. And the, the answer was, everything in your life is little to God. Actually, let me, let me quote him. I, I don't want to misquote him here. He said, Dear woman, everything in your life is little to God. There is nothing in your life that is big to God. <laughs> like, all of the islands are as a very little thing. Like, you know, how much does Australia weigh? You know? And he's got it like a marble. You know, it's, it's not a big deal. We, 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 we need to think this way, friends. We need to expand... We need to allow God through his word to show us just how majestic, just how incredible he is. Because look at verse 18. Verse 18 has been in the Bible for a long time. To whom will you liken God? And to what likeness will you compare to him? You know what? I've heard people do this. I've heard people say, well, God is, God is kind of like water, boys and girls. You got, the, you got the liquid, and you got the ice, and you got the vapor, you know, three in one. Don't compare God to water. The Bible says, to whom should... Oh, he's kind of like an egg. You know, you got the shell, and then the, and the white stuff, and then the yolk, and you got the... You know, it's all there, three in one. No, please don't compare God to an egg. The Bible says, don't do that. To whom will you liken God? You can't liken the creation to the Creator. It's not even, I can't even think of an illustration to compare it to because it's just so ridiculous. We need to be careful, friends. It's actually repeated in verse 25. It's actually repeated in verse 25, almost word for word. Don't, it's even implied as a question. There's no answer given because the answer is rhetorical. You can't liken God to anything. How can you liken the creation to the Creator? The workman melts a graven image, verse 19. This is, this is idolatry. Um, it's been around. The workman melts a graven image, and the goldsmith spreads it over with gold and casts silver chains, and is so impoverished that he has no oblation, chooses a tree that will not rot, and he, make, he seeks for himself a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. This has been going on for millennia. People create... Images and then they worship the image. This thing's got ears, but it can't hear. It's got a face, but it can't see. It's got it's got lips, but it can't talk. And people, you read Romans chapter one. We tend to worship the creation over the creator. We tend to love the Christmas gift more than the one who gave us the Christmas gift. It's just human nature. Do not lower the greatness of God in your minds, friends. Be careful not to fall into the trap of making an idol. That, 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 Mr. This is what Tozer said, A.W. Tozer. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts of God that are unworthy of Him. Isaiah, being led of the Holy Spirit, pens these timeless words. Not only does he see God in his infinite power, verse 12, and his, his, his inscrutable wisdom in verses 13 and 14, and his immense glory in verses 15 to 20. But look at verses 21 to 26. Look at verses 21 to 26. We see his invincible sovereignty. Have you not known, question, have you not heard? The, actually, the implication is, yes, you have heard this. Yes, you, you do know this. This is not new information. By the way, the heathen know this too. I, I used to, that verse used to bug me in Romans chapter 1. I remember the first time I was studying and reading through the book of Romans and teaching it when I was pastor at Sunrise Baptist Church. I, I, and Even when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Romans 1, I think that's verse 20 or 21. And they, Paul, Paul talks about we and then they in Romans chapter 1. The we is Christians, the they are unchristians. There's a distinct change in verse number 18 in the book of Romans chapter 1. He, said, he starts talking about they. The first 16, 17 verses are about we. The last verse from 18 on is about they. And in that section, even when they knew God, 
And that bugged me. I thought, what do you mean? Unbelievers don't know God. <clears throat> if they did, they'd be Christians. Well, they know God, all right. They know that God exists. But the Bible says also in Romans 1 that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 3, uh, John 3, this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And they're not going to come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed and they be shown to be the filthy, vile monsters, as George Whitfield called them, monsters of iniquity. By the way, in that, we open our preachers, like, you know, we've, we're known for quoting Whitfield and, and saying, you know, called them a monster. He called them your monsters of iniquity. A lot of people don't realize in that same message, where he called them monsters of iniquity. He says, if you will not weep for your souls, then I will weep for your souls for you. And he put his head back, and the history records that he wept for about 20 minutes in the open air for these souls of these people who couldn't even weep for their own souls. So next time you hear a... Next time you hear a... Somebody talking about monsters of iniquity, remind them that the same, in the same sermon there were tears from Mr. Whitfield. Uh, verse number 21, have you not known, have you not understood, have you not, have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? They know there's a God, but they don't, they don't want God as God. There's, uh, there's a guy, his name was Wald, George Wald, he won a Nobel Prize. He taught at Harvard, he was not a foolish or stupid man. But he said this, he said, uh, uh, this is a paraphrase, but it's pretty close. He said, there are only two explanations to how this world got here, how life began. One is, one is a, uh, a spontaneous generation leading to evolution. The other is a special creative act of God. He said, he said Louis Pasteur and others proved spontaneous generation impossible over 100 years ago. But that only leaves one option, which is a special creative act of God. I refuse to believe in God, so therefore I embrace that which is scientifically impossible. This guy won a Nobel Prize. This guy taught at Harvard. Okay, this guy, he was not a stupid man by any stretch. His IQ was most likely off the charts. But what is that? That's when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful. He knew there's a God, but he doesn't want to answer to him. He doesn't want to humble himself. And there's the real rub, is it not? Verse 22, we see, look at verse 22 with me. Have you not known, have you not, oh, sorry, yeah. It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth. <clears throat> this is not only uh, why the early Christians believed that the earth was actually a sphere, and they got laughed at like they were fools. What? The earth is, oh, tell us again, tell us again there, Bible boy, how the earth is a sphere, uh-huh. It's not flat, right? It's not flat? Uh-huh. So, so what about those people on the bottom of the earth? Wouldn't they fall off? People got mocked. People got mocked because they believed that verse. Like, you're a stupid idiot if you don't believe the world is flat. That, that was the general rule. Science taught that if you traveled far enough in your boat, you might fall off. And who knows where you'd end up. Those are the best scientists on the globe were talking that way and mocking Christians. And the Christians were going, well... Uh, I do have verse 22 in Isaiah chapter 40. And the Christians were saying, I'm, I'll stand with God. Even though I, I've never actually gone to the moon and looked at a picture of the globe and it's circular, but I, I'm going to stand with God. And Christians have been doing that for thousands of years. And thankfully, science is starting to catch up with the Bible. I'm going to be, uh, not this week, but next week, I, I think I have my plane ticket bought, so I think I'm going to be in Dallas, Texas at an evangelism summit. And one of the speakers is Dr. Jason Lyle. Now, I don't know if you guys, Dr. Jason Lyle is a PhD scientist. He's astrophysicist. He's a, a very intelligent man, and he also does evangelism. And, and I'm going to ask him, you know, what's the, if I get a chance, it's probably going to be hard to get him one-on-one or one-on-two or whatever, but I'm going to ask him what, what are the latest uh, theories as, as to time, space, travel. I know uh, Dr. Humphreys has come up with some good stuff, and, and uh, some different guys have their theories on how, you know, that's, that's the number one thing I hear on the streets is, oh, 
We know that the world has to be billions of years old because how would the light from those stars that are billions of years old get here? And there's different, there's different theories, I know. There's a relationship between... Uh, I think it's been pretty much proven now that, that the speed of light is not a constant thing. And I, I don't, this wasn't meant to get in down that road because there's people in the ro- room that know a lot more about this than I do. But I do know they have taken an atomic clock at sea level and put it on a high mountain. And there's a slight variation in the time. Not much, but it's there. So I'm hoping to talk to him and maybe he can point me to some good links or email me some links. Talk about, you know, I don't think science, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think science quite understands the, the relationship between time and distance and light. Uh, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't bother me. This one day science will catch up to the Bible. Just like verse number 22. It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like as a curtain and he spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. Friends, never forget that God, God is, is, is outside of creation in the sense that he rules over it. And look at this. Look at verse 23. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judge, judges of the earth his vanity. If God so chose, he could, he could, he could, uh, if God so chose, he could have Justin Trudeau on the ground, on his hands and knees, eating grass like an ox this afternoon, if he wanted to do that. And why he doesn't sometimes surprises me. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. I'm being honest. He, did he not take Nebuchadnezzar and do the very same thing? How long was Nebuchadnezzar eating grass like an ox, friends? Seven years. Seven years. And then God spoke a word, and it changed. And he got his senses back, and he recognized that the only reason he got anything from God was his great kindness and his great mercy. And he recognized God for who he was for the first time. God, by the way, God can do that not just to Justin Trudeau. He can, he can do that to anybody he wants at any time for whatever purpose he wants. And he doesn't need our permission. Verse 24, Yea, they have planted, yea, they have not sown. And their stock will not take root in the earth, and he, shall, uh, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them as a, as a stubble. You know, do, you know what, do you know what Irma is to God? You know what Irma is? People think, whoa, that's a big, big hurricane. Yeah. This is, you ever take a dandelion in the spring and go, that's, that's Irma to God. I mean, Irma, even though, you know, please understand, is it awful? I've heard there's parts of the Philippines that may never, ever get electricity again. It was hit so bad. So am I here to, to demean the, the plight of our brothers and sisters and even unsaved people in these countries? No, I'm not. But I'm here to say that you, the way that people have been talking, you think that Irma somehow had a, a leg up on God. And not just Irma, there were three or four of them, right? Of these tremendous hurricanes. <clears throat> the Bible says, And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. I have a friend who drove unknowingly. He said, what's that? And Anyway, he was driving past a tornado. And he, he thought there was like pieces of, you know, debris, like, you know, you know, shingles floating around. Those are trees and cars going around. Like he just, once he realized what he was seeing, he, you know, he's from Canada and he was in the States and he... You know, he got caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, and thankful he lived. But he said, Kirk, I can't even, I can't even describe it to you. I can't, I can't, there's not even words to describe what I saw in the immense power. That, that would be kind of like God just blowing a dandelion. Not a big deal. There's that warning again. To whom, verse 25, shall you liken me, or shall I be equal, says the Holy One. And then, last but not least, his inexhaustible grace. <laughs> like, I guess you could have ended the chapter. The, the, the chapter, the Holy Spirit could have ended the, at verse 26. And it would have been an amazing chapter. And it would be a glorious chapter. And be reasons to praise him for, for his infinite power and for his in, inscrutable wisdom. And for his immense glory. 
and for his invincible sovereignty. Be like, wow, thank you, God, you're so awesome, you're so amazing. But of course, there's this inexhaustible grace. Look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from God? Do you ever stop? Do you ever think that way? Do you ever say, why does not God know what? He's so powerful and he's all knowing. How, how has God forgotten about me? How, how, how has God forgotten about my family? Does he not know? Does he not know what unemployment is? Does he not know what physical pain is? Does he not know what death is? I got a call last night at about 11 o'clock and one of my best friends, his uh, father-in-law, died. Uh, his name was Ross Allen. Uh, maybe you knew him from Truro. He was a Gideon. And he, he passed in the presence of God last night. And there's a family hurting. Not hurting. They don't have no, no hope, obviously. They don't, they don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Because Ross knew the Lord. Thank the Lord. But, but we have a tendency to, in, our, in our situations and in our plights and say, God, how could you let this happen? If I had a, literally, without exaggerating, if I had a quarter for everybody that turned their back on God because God didn't line up with how they planned out their life to go, I could probably buy a used vehicle this afternoon with all those quarters. I'm not kidding you. It's like, it's like the idea is that God blew it. God, God you know, I, we had a deal. I was going to love you and serve you and trust you and follow you and obey you. And you let my sister get killed in that car accident. And you let my little girl die of cancer. And you let my, my mom die way too young. And you, like, there's a million stories out there just like that. And maybe you've lived some of those stories. And the idea is, verse 27, that well, my way is hid from the Lord. Like God apparently knows everything, but he must have blown it this time. The hot, uh, this is the newest thing coming down the pipe in atheism. And they probably, the Batman versus Superman even put it in their movie. It says that if God is good, he can't be all loving. And if he's all loving, he can't be all good. That's very popular. If you have somebody, a relative a child or a grandchild going to university or going to some kind of a secular, non-theistic, humanistic education system, there's a pretty good chance they actually believe that if God is good, he is not all loving. And if he is, not, if he is all loving, then he's certainly not good. Because you certainly can't be both good and loving and all powerful all at the same time with all of the stuff that's going on in the world. Well, if there wasn't a fall, if there wasn't a fall in Genesis 3, they actually might have a point. But what they fail to recognize is that man was handed a perfect world and man rebelled against God and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Not only was Adam cursed, not only was Eve cursed in Genesis 3, not only was the serpent cursed, but what was the fourth thing that was cursed? Do you remember in Genesis 3? Cursed is the ground for your sake. Even the ground is cursed. Even the ground is cursed. And so this is part of the reason why we're still seeing the aftershocks of this global catastrophe called the flood and earthquakes and tsunamis and, and it's just, it, it, if there was no fall, there wouldn't be, there would be, there would be no death. And that would have changed this world dramatically, dramatically. But his inexhaustible grace. By the way, these people, <laughs> Isaiah's writing to people The people in Isaiah's day needed a fresh reminder of who God was because this was written in a day in which the Assyrian Empire is threatening the northern kingdom and soon the Babylonian Empire will rise up against the southern empire and they will be carted off for 70 years of captivity. They would need to recapture an extraordinary view of God. And my friends, I'm not here to trivialize or minimize what you're going through, but I am here to say that God has not forgotten about you. And God has not ceased to be sovereign when, he turned, when, the, when the calendar year turned to 2017. God is still on his throne. 
And all things literally do work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Look at verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Yes, you have. That the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, He neither faints nor is weary. I love this verse. I'm getting, try not to laugh, I'm getting older. And I'm starting to realize even though I'm only 46 years old, that I'm not 26 years old anymore. And some of you are like 66 and 76, and you're going, listen to this kid, give me a break. You don't have a sweet clue, Kirk. Okay, well, that's prob- you're probably right. You're probably right. I will give you the fact that I probably shouldn't even be saying this because it's so minuscule. But, but the fact of the matter is, I, I uh, verse 28, I faint and I get weary. Do you faint and get weary? You say, Kirk, you got no clue, man. The young people, actually, I can see the faces. The young people off to my right are going, they're going, what? Oh, you wait. I I faint and I get weary. Especially when I've been standing on concrete for hours and hours and hours on end. The old, everything from here down just starts seizing up and... (laughs) It's tough. It's tough sometimes, especially in the cold. Um, have you not heard, known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the 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 Creator, the, at the the ends of the earth, not just the earth, but the ends of the earth. Everything that's out there was created by God. He neither faints nor gets weary. Oh, thank you, God. There is no searching of His understanding. There is no searching. He's just told us, and at the end of it all, he says, by the way, there's no searching of this. This is, this is just too, too amazing for words. He gives, oh, I love verse 29. He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Are you thankful for verse 29, friends? Oh, how many times have you turned your Bible in verse 29? Next time you need strength, maybe you just claim this verse. Go to Isaiah before somebody's, before you can even get out of bed in the morning. He's like, oh Lord, I'm going to need strength just to get out of bed this morning. Give me strength. He gives strength to the faint and to them that have no might. He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait on the Lord. Or uh, some of your Bibles say hope, right? They that hope in the Lord. Friends, where is your hope this morning? Please don't put your hope in anything down here. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18 says, The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. Put your hope in the things that are not seen. It's possible that you're here today and you're like, you're not not even a Christian. You're just here because, you know, you're kind of expected to be or, you know, you're just putting in your appearance to... Well, I don't know, for, 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 to save face for whatever reason, I don't know. There could be many, many one of various reasons why you're in this place on a Sunday morning. But I, I want to I encourage you today, uh, I've been speaking primarily to Christians, but if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you, 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 you're a stranger to repentance. You've never repented of a single thing in your entire existence. You don't even really know what the word means because you're a stranger to repentance. You really don't have faith, and the Bible says, uh, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, uh, Acts 20, verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, let me tell you, friends, that it's, it's amazing. As we were singing that song, Boldly I Approach, I often try to put myself in different scenarios. Like, imagine singing that song 3,000 years ago. Boldly I approach. Boldly you're going to approach God? Uh, <laughs> wait, is this a joke? You can't boldly approach God. Who do you think you are? Well, no, it's not who I think I am. It's who I know Christ is. And because Christ... Literally, as Jesus shed his blood, as Jesus gave up the ghost, and, and the veil was rent from top to bottom, and, and all believer priests, all priests from that moment on had access to the throne of God, we can say boldly, I approach, not because of who I am, but because of who he is, and because of what he has done in my behalf. If you'd have sung that song 3,000 years ago, you'd probably get 
somebody would probably accuse you of blasphemy. But because Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and he took his, he took your, your payment and on himself, and, and he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, friends. That changes everything. And you can actually come to God today, broken, vile, wretched, sinful, and say, God, please accept me on the basis of who Jesus Christ is and on the basis of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. And the Bible says if you confess your sins, uh, uh, I'm thinking of Romans 10, verse 9. <laughs> if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's no reason to walk out of this building lost. Come to Christ today. And be saved, friends. And for those of you who are saved, and you, may I encourage you to, to hope and to wait on the Lord? Because those that wait on the Lord and hope on the Lord, verse 31, will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run, and they shall not be weary. And they shall walk, and they shall not what? Faint. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this chapter. Thank you, Lord, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And there is a very real sense that uh, every preacher who's ever preached Isaiah 40 knows that he, uh, well, he's come short because words don't really even begin to give justice to how amazing and how majestic and how incredible you are. We thank you for your power, for your wisdom, for your glory for your sovereignty, and for your grace, all found in this incredible chapter. God, God, we recognize that you must increase and we must decrease. Forgive us, Lord, for getting it backwards. Uh, Romans 12.3 tells us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We, we do that pretty much every day. And in the process, we unknowingly bring you down. and We, 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 we ask for forgiveness for this, Lord. Lord, help us to never forget just how high and how holy and majestic and awesome you are. And forgive us when we, when we tend to think that our circumstances are hid from you. And we tend to think that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and do it ourselves, Lord. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So God, uh, if there's anybody unsaved in the room, may today... Be the day of their salvation. May they turn from their sins and put their faith in the one who died, was buried, and rose again for them. And thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. <clears throat> and for your people here this morning, use this chapter to strengthen and edify and encourage us. Because it's very possible that we're going to go through some real deep valleys this week. Some real deep valleys that we don't even know that are coming, but you do. Maybe, maybe October is going to be the hardest month of our entire life. We don't, we don't know, but we do know the one who, uh, who knows all about it, the one who can comfort and strengthen and help and guide us and provide for us. God, continue to do this for your glory's sake. We love you. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.